brute force. If it doesn't work, you're just not using enough. You're listening to Software Radio, special operations military news, and straight talk with the guys in the community. Good morning, everyone. Welcome back to Software Up Radio. Software Up Radio on time, on target. I'm your host this morning, Steve Balistrieri, but we have two very important and exciting guests with us. We have Sean Spoon, obviously from SoftRep.com, but we also have John David Mann. And if you you recognize the name but can't quite put a face to it, that's because John has been a collaborator with our own Brandon Webb for several years, and we're going to get into all of that because they've written a new book called Steel Fear. It can be found on steelfear.com, and uh, we're going to have an interview with him. He's on the line with us right now, so we're going to start it off. Sean, John, welcome to the podcast, and Sean, take it away. Thank you, Steve. Uh, joining us today on Software Radio is John David Mann, who is the co-author of Steel Fear, which he wrote with Software Editor-in-Chief and founder Brandon Webb. Uh, John is the author of some 28 books in business and leadership studies. He began his writing collaboration with Brandon with the Red Circle, a New York Times bestseller in 2012. And since then, he and Brandon have worked together on six other books, the latest of which is a thriller, Steel Fear, which is set on the aircraft carrier Abraham Lincoln. John grew up in New Jersey, was the son of a professor of music, and is himself an accomplished cellist and composer who began winning awards and recognition for his musical talents as a teenager. By the age of 17, he and a friend had started their own high school called Changes Incorporated, and he managed to get graduates placed in colleges like Harvard and Yale, and then went on to teach at the school himself. Um, John and I worked together on Steel Fear. I did some research for him on the book. And uh, we're here today to talk about John's career and about writing Steel Fear. This is his first foray into the thriller genre. And uh, John, welcome to the show. It's good to be here. Listen, I've, all, I've also been a follower of Soft Rep since it started, since it was a twinkle in Brandon's eye. I remember him sending me an email back in, I don't know, 2009, 2010, something like that, saying, I got this idea for a blog. So it's fun to be here on this end. How did you meet Brandon originally? You know, it was right after Captain Phillips, that whole thing with the three Navy SEAL snipers that caught the world's attention. Everybody was glued to CNN watching these, you know, these snipers like synchronized swimmers pop, 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 three shots. And it's a famous iconic piece of of newsreel, right? And my literary agent was watching this on television, was watching Don Lemon, I think, or somebody interviewing a guy who had trained Navy SEAL snipers talking about what that training involved. And she turned to her sister who was watching TV with her and said, I want that guy as a client. Why can't I have that guy as a client? And three days later, that guy walked into her office and said, I need an agent. I want to write a memoir. (laughs) I was Brandon. Yeah. So uh, they wrote to me and said, look, I I know this isn't what you do, uh, I was, you know, writing nonfiction. I was writing about leadership. I was writing about, you know, very nice, pleasant uh, c- civilian things, right? The military was not my genre. And she wrote and said, this is what you do, but got this guy, his client, who's got this interesting story. 
and he needs a uh, he's a good writer himself but he needs you know really a really sharp writer to work with him and i read a page brandon had written and said shit i have got to do this i gotta do this um so i said yeah i'm in no matter what and we, we clicked we started corresponding um and it's funny because we have completely different backgrounds you know brandon obviously he's got his military background uh i got you just read part of my stuff I, i'm a cellist he's a sniper it's a little different and uh but we clicked like immediately uh i think we had some similar values around work ethic uh, around uh excellence uh, around almost an obsession for excellence um and yeah a bunch of other things we just we just clicked and we've been working together ever since it's been a decade i could uh, i could see where the uh, the kind of obsession with doing it right yeah. between being a navy steel and a cellist would be very similar um you started you grew up in new jersey where where in new jersey yeah right in central jersey about an hour outside manhattan uh my dad had an office in manhattan uh, he had conducted a he edited a choral review and performed in manhattan so i was in and out of new york city uh, my whole life as a kid and uh, i am yes it's true i'm a jersey boy uh, was it a punishment for him to give you the cello i mean that thing's huge you, <laughs> yeah. you was a kid no it's weird that. Dad, can I play the flute? Something gets easier to carry to school. Why do I have I to play the cello? I started out on the violin. I, a musical family. My, my my older brother played violin, and then he he graduated to bass. He he gra he gravitated really to bass and bassoon, and he still plays bass in a symphony. And one day in junior high, I had this idea that if I played the cello, I could make faces at my friends while I was playing, which you can't uh -huh. do with a violin. So I, I that's that's my story. Anyhow, so yeah, I, I wanted to play the cello. I'll be darned. <laughs> That's hilarious. So um, you guys wrote the Red Circle. It becomes a New yep. York Times bestseller. Yep. And then you actually kind of get into the business side of, of books too. You do uh, books on leadership and, and stuff like that with Brandon, like Mastering Fear and and the Killing School, which is actually a book about leadership and training and things like that. Yeah. And then you and then you get um, kind of we get what seven books. That's right. The two of you. That's right. And now we have Mastering Fear, which was your first your first foray into the thriller genre. And you did a lot of research on this book because I remember helping you do that. Um, oh, was it was it a daunting task? I mean, I guess Brandon and you kind of came up with the plot. It goes way back for years in terms of, of when uh, these, this story actually opens. It's based on real life incidents. Yes. Don't, first of all, daunting. Yes. It felt like I'd been climbing lovely little hills my whole life and suddenly I'm on Mount Everest, you know, with, with a flimsy mask. Um, so yeah, let's tell the story first. I mean, of how we got here with this, because it is based, like you said, on an experience Brandon had. I'll make this short, but Brandon was actually stationed on the Lincoln back in 95 and he was not yet a SEAL. This is pre-BUDS. He was a, uh, a rescue swimmer, um, SAR and sonar operator. Uh, stationed with a with a helicopter unit, and he did a six month tour Westpac on the on the Lincoln. This is right around the time that they were first integrating women in in a major way on on uh, on military vessels, and so the, the first generations of combat uh, pilots. Kara uh, Holtgreen had just crashed and died off the Lincoln deck, like six months or so before Brandon stepped foot on that deck. So it, this is in the in the early days of that Titanic culture shift of women in the Navy on boats. And there was a serial predator on the ship. It was the strangest, weirdest, creepiest thing. There was this guy, presumably, he was never caught. 
uh, Zuma was a guy who would sneak into the women's shower area and uh, flip off the lights and then go in and molest somebody and then run. Jeez. And Jeez. this happened over and over, like half a dozen, seven, eight times. Wow. And it cast kind of a pall of, of, of terror of a sort, like kind of a low-level terror on the whole ship. Um, and Brandon had a, a good friend, a helicopter pilot named Mona at the time. That he remembers talking with her about this. And the, there's a helicopter pilot named Monica on in Steel Fear, a major character who, who is you know, loosely based on her. Um, and they never caught the guy. And Brandon thought at the time, man, what if these were murders? So that planted the seed for the story. And when we started talking in 2009 about Red Circle, one of our first conversations, he said, hey, would you ever be interested in writing a novel, like a thriller about a serial killer and an aircraft carrier? <laughs> and I said, what, me, a novel? Damn, yeah, <laughs> let's do that. It took 10 years uh, before we could do it. And it was, one reviewer said it took them 10 years to get all the, all the uh, approval past the Pentagon. Well, that's not true. <laughs> I don't know where she made that up. <laughs> there was no, no Pentagon review in this book, it's fiction. Um, but, but, I that would, that, but, but that would be entirely believable of the Pentagon actually for something to take well, 10 years to get. <laughs> you know, it would be, and we did it. I mean, we did it for a few of our other books for Among Heroes and The Killing School. You know, we, we did that DOD review and it was a bear. Yeah. Um, they took out a lot. Well, they took out some. But anyway, uh, we went through, like you said, we did Red Circle. We did several other books that were really memoir type books in the course of which I got to know Brandon's life almost as well as if it were my own. I mean, I know so much about that guy's history, his personal, his professional, his military. Um, but I also, you know, one of our books called Among Heroes is, tells the story of eight SEALs who are all, all gone now, you know, from, from uh, uh, Glenn Doherty to Chris Kyle to Dave, all, all kinds of people um, that Brandon met in the course of his career in the military. And while writing the book, I talked to like, four dozen, five dozen people, uh, his teammates, their teammates, their siblings, their parents, their instructors. And it's, it's, it was like getting to know sort of the entire SEAL community uh, uh, really intimately in a way that, you, that, you, that, a, that a reporter or a biographer gets to know somebody. So by the time we hit Steel Fear, uh, I felt like I'd absorbed a tremendous amount of that culture. What I didn't know was the was the the ship, and that's you know that's where you helped out big time. Uh, for the listeners, I gotta say, Sean may, may be modest about this, but he was he had a huge part in helping me get that right uh, because he got me. First of all, he got me onto the Lincoln physically, which was fantastic, and he also just went through the manuscript and corrected a thousand things and made suggestions and had ideas and said, yeah, this might work this way, but it would more likely work that way. Um, there's a point where there's a big fight between the command master chief and the captain. And I went to Sean and said, what would, what would that be like if, if these two guys had an argument? And he, he took me through that, like a thread through the eye of a needle so that we, we got, I think we really got that right. Um, it, military readers, man, are the pickiest readers in the world. And I mean that as a compliment. If, if you get the caliber, caliber of a bullet wrong, or if you get the form of address from one person to another wrong, if you get any piece of the culture wrong, they're on you, man, like like gnats in Somalia, you know, <laughs> you gotta yeah. got get it right. So uh, yeah, it was a lot of research.
Well, in in the Navy, you're talking about, you know, they say the Navy has traditions and the um, the Army has, oh, what is it? So the Navy has traditions, the Army has something else, I'm trying to recall, and then they said the Air Force has habits. So, <laughs> but, but the Navy has a culture that is distinct oh, yeah. in its own, and yeah. it's a social stratus layer. I mean, we talk a lot about, about how they would talk to one another. Yes. And and forms of address and even the way you reply. Remember, there was an invitation from the captain to see Brandon. I was like, yeah, he wouldn't answer him that way. He would say, you know, the, yeah. the captain requests the pleasure of your company at yes. his at his mess. And, you know, like Brandon's response would be, I don't have a uniform. You know, so it'd be like that would be the first thing that would occur to you. The captain's was, oh, my God, I don't have the uniform to wear. So <laughs> it would be it would be that kind of a thing. We were trying to put details in the book that somebody had been in the military would say, OK, this is the way you think of these things uh, yeah. when they occur. In the, and the, tell us about visiting the Lincoln. You get a you got a really interesting visit there. They, they, all, they rolled off the red carpet for you. Yeah, you know, there were there were th uh, three big sort of events in the genesis of the book. The first was Brandon's experience and the seed of the story, which I told you about. Uh, the second was we needed a, a hero who was a mess. We needed a hero who was complicated, who was, I wanted to write as our hero, somebody who was really pretty screwed up. Um, sort of the opposite of what sort of the Hollywood picture uh, the swashbuckling Navy Sea would be, right? We wanted something real. So it, it took a couple of years to form the picture of this guy, Finn, who is completely devastated by trauma in his recent past, but also in his childhood. And, and the mystery of where he comes from and what happened to him is a big part of the mystery of the book. Um, but the third piece, the third big piece was the ship. I mean, the environment is so foreign to most people. It's so alien, it's so strange. So difficult to to kind of comprehend. It's like a, a, a floating city. This is like the 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 Empire State Building on its side, floating in water. And it's about that size, with six thousand people on board for six months right. at sea. So it's um, it's almost incomprehensible. And I, I felt like the ship had to become almost like a character in the book. Um, so I spent. A year, but 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 three or four months of really concentrated time within that year, of researching the ca carriers and the Lincoln particularly like like mad. Um, spent thousands of dollars on books, watching videos uh, on all kinds of military websites. I dug out the yearbook of Brandon's actual uh, uh, deployment in '95 and got pictures of him and his teammates. You know when they were like six years old and stuff. Uh, it was it was really really uh, steeping myself in that. There's a there's a mo there's a moment in chapter two in the book where um, there's a story a quick reference to a story about two brothers who deploy in the, on, a, on the same carrier, and from the day they leave till the day they return six months later, they never see each other once. They never cross paths. Right. And they're deployed in the same carrier. Um, right. And I, want, I stuck that in as a way, as shorthand, to try to convey to people how immense the thing is. And here's the thing. That's a true story. Yeah. So all, all the little details in there, you know, they're all, they all come from that, that intense period of research. Um, so at the end of all that, you get me on the ship, <laughs> which is really cool, uh, because that gave me a chance to, you know, kind of nail down and either confirm or, or correct um, you know, everything I've done so far. I went to see the Intrepid with Brandon when we started 
back at the beginning. Um, and for those who don't know, the Intrepid is based off uh, a pier in New York City. It's stationary. It's like a museum, really. And it's it's a much older generation carrier. So the Intrepid does not equal the Lincoln. It's smaller. It's different, but but it's a carrier. So yeah. I kind of had had that in my background. Uh, uh, but then I got on the Lincoln, and so I flew down in January 2019, one January day, and uh, they. They treated me like royalty. They were fantastic. I got to meet the captain. I got to meet the CMC, the command master chief, uh, the uh, chief medical officer. I, I was toured around the whole ship by a photographer and, and a bunch a bunch of guys. It was it was terrific, um, and I learned a lot. You know, a lot of it was confirmation, but you know, for example, one thing I got being on the carrier, I had this picture in my head of kind of long straight corridors, like, you know, you might see in like a submarine movie or the kind of thing you see in the Hollywood, uh, like in an office building. Uh-uh, no, it's like, there's nothing long, there's nothing straight. It's, that's why I try to describe it as like a hobbit shire, a medieval village that, that you know, had, had no benefit of urban planning. <laughs> right. You, you can't go more than like six, eight, 12 feet before you jud left or you jar right. And, and it's, it's really like a labyrinth. Um, so that learning the passageways, I mean, it, it's a mind-boggling task. Um, and just the sheer scope and the complexity and the seeming lack of coherence, like a, like a spider. You ever seen those pictures where they do they have show spiders webs and then they show you what happens when they give the spiders acid, like LSD, right? <laughs> and the spiders weave these like crazy, crazy things. Is like that inside. It's like a honeycomb yeah. by stoned bees. <laughs> well, and it, uh, it it is a, it is definitely the first aircraft carrier I was I was aboard. Uh, modern aircraft carrier was the Nimitz that was in Norfolk, and I remember. Same generation, yeah. And I remember thinking, oh, God, this is. You know, what it reminded me of it reminded yeah. me of the National Cathedral in Washington because you walk oh. in. There's these huge soaring ceilings in the yes. hangar deck area, and then yeah. as soon as you step out of that. You step into these little narrow passageways and alcoves, and it's it's a lot like a cathedral in a sense. It has these big, yes. huge things, and then you have all these narrow little winding passages that cut off and go nowhere sometimes. Um, and and the, I always tell people when they say, silverboard ship, what's it like? I said, well, the thing you don't forget is the smell of a ship. Mm. A, a Navy yeah. ship has a smell. It's it, it, Back in the day, it was paint and fuel oil and and coffee and tobacco and sweat all mingled together. It's actually kind yeah. of a sweet smell. You could blindfold a sailor and put him on a warship and he'd know where he was. Yes. Um, but yes. every ship has that has that odor and it's unique. It doesn't exist on any land base or any land facility. It's a, it's a I remember you telling me that, man. I remember you telling me that before I was on the ship. And I and that's I put that in chapter two. I mean, it's right yeah. there because I, I wanted to, to jam in as much sensory information, um, yeah. and the the trick to it, or the I guess the the craft to it, you could, you could say, is is to give the reader all this information without them feeling like you're giving them a lot of information because it, it readers don't want to feel like they're going to school. They don't want right. to feel like they're 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 reading an educational book. They're reading a story, man. They want to know like what the hell happens next. Right. So you you want to give them as much information as you can, but in a way that where the story is always moving forward like a shark. Um, yeah, yeah. So you met the captain. So how, I mean, they knew you were writing a book about a serial killer on an aircraft carrier. So I may have they, neglected to mention the serial killer. <laughs>
<laughs> so, so what was it like to meet the captain of, of of the Abraham Lincoln? Because you're talking about a guy that's basically on his way to be an admiral. His next job yes. after this is he's going to yes. be an admiral. It goes from that to unless being, he's the. Um, Unless he's the captain in our story, in which case, not so much. <laughs> uh, un unless he runs at a ground. That, that actually happened. That actually oh, happened man. when I was in the Navy. The skipper of the Enterprise ran her aground uh, coming into San Francisco Bay. Oops. And there's, you know, 5,000 people aboard the carrier. They've been in the West, West Pack for nine months. The Enterprise comes back. The Navy band is at the pier. There's like 8,000, 9,000 people waiting to greet the ship. And she grinds up on a sandbar. Oh, man. So they send everybody home. It takes two yeah. days to get her off the bar and finally get her to the pier. So it was like, oh, my God, the captain of the ship. You know, I don't remember how it deposed, but uh, he doesn't actually bring the ship in. The pilot brings the ship in. There's a civilian yes. pilot that brings the ship in. But if the captain was not on that bridge when that ship ran aground, he was dead. But I think he was on the bridge, so it saved him. But uh, that what a thing to run the thing aground as you – as you come back after a well, nine month so you met the captain. A, How did that go? It's a, it's a big issue. I mean, like, and you know, one of the key things in the story. I, I watched a um, there's a documentary, a ten hour documentary uh, put out by Icon Productions called Carrier, and yeah. it's a do it documents the life of a of a of a deployment on I think it's the uh, George W. Bush, George H. W. Bush rather, um, but it's it, it's the same same class, right? So it's it, it was great research for me. And it's an amazing, uh, it's an amazing documentary. And I actually pulled pieces from that documentary that really informed the book. But one of the things I took away from that documentary was the relationship between the captain and his XO, uh, which was like, like brothers practically. Really interesting relationship, interesting working relationship. Both of them terrific, terrific guys. You could see this, um, but the way that they leaned on each other and the, and the bond that they formed was really, really fascinating. And one of the uh, one of the key elements in the book is the relationships at the leadership level. The book, uh, in one article, I called Steel Fear a leadership parable disguised as a crime novel. Yes, it's really it's really about leadership. And, and right. the captain of, of the Lincoln in our story. Uh, I'm gonna, this is by way of answering your question, because I met the captain. He was a terrific, terrific man. Great guy. Nothing like the guy in the book. The captain in the book and his relationship with his XO. And his relationship with the, with the master chief, the command master chief, um, they're all really dysfunctional, but really dysfunctional in a credible way. Like you, we've all seen these relationships. We've all seen this leadership. We've all seen this kind of conflict in the chain of command that's above us. So we don't have any, any opportunity to do anything about it. Right? right. That's what's going on. And that's, you could say, that's what creates the environment that allows for the possibility of all the shit that goes on, these serial murders. Um, you know, my contention, and we never say it in the book, my contention is if we had different leadership on that carrier, all these serial murders, they would not, that it would not have happened, or at least they would not have continued. Uh, it was a toxic environment. And that reflects something that, you know, Brandon and I wrote about in the Red Circle about the difference between toxic environments and, and, and healthy environments and how much they stem from the quality of the leadership. That's a very good point. Um, leadership in the Navy, especially board a ship, is different, I think, than in other branches where you have a land-based element with a chain of command that goes all the way up to, say, a four-star general that can be right. reached by phone or can get in his car and drive over to the base. A yeah. Navy, a captain of a Navy ship is nearly a god aboard that ship. Yeah. And 
leadership in the Navy very much is about a partnership between a variety of people in leadership positions are all basically working together on the same page. And if you've got someone yes. who's not on the right page, that it's it's like pouring sand into the crankcase of a car. Everything else is trying to work, but then you have this one thing that is screwing everything up. But if that happens, that happens on the bridge with the skipper, then you have you could have some real real problems on the so, ship. So here was the challenge. Here was the challenge, or here was the task. Here's what I wanted to try to do: is in the course of the book, it's 464 pages, so it's a it's a, it's a lot of runway there. In the course of the book, you want to see the gradual breakdown of the captain because he does gradually break down. The gradual breakdown of his relationship with the, with the Master Chief, the gradual breakdown of the ship, I mean, the ship itself, itself starts to break down. Yeah. And also the gradual, uh, Finn, the hero, is having this internal sort of gradual breakdown that culminates, oh, that was interesting. Um, it culminates in, in, a, in a crisis. So the whole, the whole thing is, is a sort of a study in disintegration while you're, uh, while you're at sea. And then he's got to come back. Finn's Finn is disintegrated. Oh yeah, man. And then he's got to basically pull himself together and and deal with this situation, which was which was a real. I got to tell you, reading this book, I'm not really a a crime thriller kind of genre guy. Mostly be historical reference stuff, but there yes. were parts of that book that were very hard for me to read, and especially some of the murders. I, I, I'm not squeamish at all. I I've been in blood. You know, been blood various times in my life never bothered me. But some of the things that that were in that book in the killer's mind gate had me just my skin crawling. So, and I can't even get either you or Brandon to to cop to whose ideas those were, <laughs> whose whose mind is that dark to come up with some of these things because it was it was some of the stuff was hard to read. It really was. I'll tell you a secret about how that works. The murders aren't all that grisly. I mean. They are a little bit, but they're not, it's not like a lot of gore and blood. But what, what I strove to do was the people that end up getting killed is make you really care about them before it happens. Uh, one reader said, be careful, because if you start caring about a character, you know they're going to get it. <laughs> I'm not a sadistic person, honest, I promise. I just wanted to keep the story, keep the story hopping. Yes, you're right. Empathy with the victims. Um, yeah. Yeah. And and your helplessness People. and your helplessness as a reader and not being able to do anything about what's about to happen to them Which was probably was probably the source of my own yikes kind of thing. So if those are those of you who are not normally uh, thriller readers, uh, read this book because it's it's got some things in it. It's an entertaining read for it to take you kind of on that emotional roller coaster where you start you think, oh my god, this the way this person is dying. I yikes. And you feel helpless that like you're witness to this crime you can't do anything about, which is which is quite a feeling in that book. Um, and so, I do uh, want to I do want to say some are saved. Not everybody dies. Not everybody. Just, dies. just so you know, it'd be a much longer book with six thousand people all die. It'd be a, it'd be a much longer book. Um, but I also like the plausibility of the story. I mean, there were you and I talked a lot about that. Where I was like, no, 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 that won't. I can't. You can't do that. That won't work. You can't. Now that would have that would have the Secretary of the Navy flying out there in a helicopter. So the thing that I thought you did really good with is is pushing it to the edge, but not getting into the ridiculousness of, of some books where you're like, that makes no sense. You know, but you kept it in the in the framework this, of the reality of that of that. This never universe. happened, but it could have. It could have. It's never happened, but it could. I wouldn't be surprised if it gets read by guys at you know the Naval Investigative Service and says, you know what, you know, what are we doing in case something like this happens? Are we are we really ready to deal with some? What would we do? Because it's very hard to lock down an aircraft carrier. You got six thousand 
people aboard and you've got 80 something aircraft offline critical missions for national security you don't just stop the world so how do you do that and i think the master at arms corps what did, what did we come up with it's like 80 guys or something that's not a lot it's not a big number yeah, yeah. and they're policing thousands of of people um and and are they trained as i mean they are law enforcement officers but yeah small arms trained but still can you do what they do can you do an autopsy? Can the ship surgeon do an autopsy that's credible? Can you actually build a case or something like this on a carrier? Um, do they have the kind of facilities and equipment that you need to do a forensic examination of crime? Uh, not generally. Most of the crimes on aircraft carriers, somebody stole something out of my locker. Exactly. Or what's his name? What's his name? Punch me. Or fraternizing. Fraternizing. You know. Big crime, man. <laughs> right. So when you get to the major theft, and you're right, and like you say, sexual assaults. Mm -hmm. um, but then you get this big thing going on where you have people disappearing all the world. Um, I really thought you did a good job on the man overboard part about what happens when a guy goes over the side. Because okay. uh, it's, it's a big deal. And yeah. I think it's an interesting glimpse into what actually happens when somebody goes over the side and how much the effort is to basically try and get, those, get that person recovered unless you have a mission that makes that impossible. Yes. Because yes. then you have this calculus where they say, okay, we can't stop this entire carrier task force for one guy when we're in the middle of yeah. launching planes to do this and cover that and handle this. We're going to have to move on. And there, there is a point in that. Um, yeah. The Navy does go to extraordinary lengths, but it, but it does come down also to the, to the mission needs of that, of that unit. Um, and mm -hmm. I don't know, my experience has been that when a carrier goes to sea, they always lose a couple of people. Mm -hmm. There's always a couple of fatalities. Um, yeah. It's a dangerous environment. OSHA is exempt. The Navy is, is exempt from OSHA regulations. So there's lots of places to get hurt. Things fall on you. You fall down a ladder. You go off this, you get blown off the side because you step behind a, um, kind of, yeah, jet. Step yeah. Behind a jet engine and it blows you off the deck. Um, yeah. But a lot of it slips and falls and crush yes. injuries. Something falls exactly. on them, injures them. But something's not secured, rolls across the deck and smashes them. There's lots of places to get hurt. And yeah. they they actually have a they actually have a cooler to to keep bodies uh in basically in, in stasis until they bring them home and bury them. Yep. Unless there's unless there's unless there's no body. Unless there's no body. So <laughs> <laughs> um you've got a, you're gonna be writing a sequel to this. Uh, what, what can you tell us about cold? Cold Fear is the new book, right? This was going to be the, the, the sequel to this. Is that right? Yeah. Um, in the back of Steel Fear, I think we put five chapters of, uh, of the sequel, of the next book in the series, which is Cold Fear, which takes place uh, a couple months after the end of Steel Fear. And I will just say uh, it's in Iceland. Of course, you'll yeah. read this if you read that part. And uh, it's, it's, yeah, we're about three quarters of the way through that now. That'll come out in a year. It's gonna be very interesting. You, you think there'll be a third out there? You're planning on writing it as a, as a that's the plan. Sort of, sort of like an Indiana Jones kind of thing. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. That's the, that's the that's the trip we're on. That's that's what we assume. We got Finn's, Finn has got lots of room for lots of stuff to figure out. I was gonna say they complicated go, past. Navy Navy SEALs go so many places. There's so many different ways. Um, I, I'm gonna be very interested to, to hear how you. Type the plot line about all the deaths and and he had and he he has a lot of past to untangle too. Yes, he's got a boulder following him, like yeah. you know Indiana Jones rolling behind him. He's got this yeah. coming. It'll be very interesting to see 
how you uh, how you clear it unwrap, did you unwrap did that you, trauma did you take pictures of the abraham lincoln yeah oh yeah i did you you know what we should do something with those i think it'd be very interesting for readers of software oh yeah your pictures sure. of the carrier your impressions because you basically this is one of the reasons we got you aboard so that you could take pictures of the places and get a feel for the yeah. scenes that are in the book the catwalks the fantail the the small um stateroom that that finn was in the mess room you know the, the, the sick bay all these different yeah. places where the where the story takes place so you can get your atmospherics right so they wouldn't let me in the armory no but i was in the brig but i got the brig jittery apes the coffee shop uh what, what i call the lincoln room the captain's captain's uh, uh sort of parlor which is all decked out like like an actually abraham lincoln's you know 19th century room or it, that's actually accurate it's taken yeah. from the spielberg movie set just the way we describe in the book um you know everything from the fantail to the hangar deck to the finn's little room which we describe as a broom closet is actually a room it's actually a state room if you want to call it that that i saw on the intrepid it's this tiny little thing, and and yes, there is a little tiny head right across the little hall. Right. Um, so every, every every compartment we described, every passageway, every location that figures prominently in the book, um, that's how it looks. That's how it is. Did you get to the, Did you get to see the quarterdeck? Because the, the quarterdeck usually have artifacts of yeah. Abraham Lincoln's, yep. which is like almost a shrine to the namesake. Yeah. Um, well, you see, you see Lincoln memorabilia all over the ship, you know, profiles and the, the number 72 plastered everywhere. CV2, uh, 72 is the number of the ship. Right. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy. It's like, it's like, it's so heavily branded. You, you wonder yeah. if Lincoln's estate is like earning money on, on the, on the ship. <laughs> well, it's, it's kind of an aside. If something were to happen to the ship, let's say she was sinking, there's actually a detail to go and secure those items and get them off the ship safely. I'm not surprised. Not to let the artifacts go down with the ship. They usually use a group of guys who get their job to recover those objects and get them into a lifeboat and get off the yeah. get off the ship with them if they can. So it's like those relics are um, are important to the vessel. There, there's a religion to ships, as we used to say. There's a religion. Yeah. To them. They're, they're yeah. your home. They're your home. They become part of your identity. Um, you see yourself as a as a, as a Lincoln sailor. You know. Yeah. And and it's and sometimes when guys leave a ship after a couple of years, they sometimes have a hard time adjusting to to another vessel, which is which is kind of interesting. Um, so the book is uh, Steel Fear. It is out in stores now. It can also be ordered on Amazon. We'll include a link in the podcast. Um, John David Mann, Steve Balsteri, I want to thank you for for coming on board, Software Radio, and speaking to us today. It's been a, it's been a real pleasure to to talk to you. Can't wait to can't wait to do it again. Great chance to thank you in person also, Mr. Sean. Thank you. Appreciate that immensely. Before before we let you go, John, who's going to play Finn when they make this into a Steven Spielberg movie? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, we uh, we did ink a contract, a deal with um, NBC Universal uh, through Peacock, their streaming service that they're, they're developing. It's in development now as a, as a streaming limited series. So I don't have any kind of a uh, you know production calendar or you know prospective dates on that, but it's in development, which is Hollywood speak for who knows. Um, however, it's they seem pretty serious about it. We got a fantastic uh, producing partner on board who was involved in all of the Born projects, um, so that's pretty cool. And he's got a fantastic writer who's developing the pilot right now, the pilot you know episode. Um, so. We have no say on who sh who's going to play the who, but 
We know that given the team we, we picked to do it, you know, we, we pitched it to Hollywood and we got like, a, we got a handful of, of, uh, of pretty serious bites and we went through a selection process and the team we've got is just ace. So whatever they do, it's going to be good. I can promise you that. Awesome. Um, folks, before we, we wrap this thing up, again, you can find this on steelfear.com. We encourage all of our readers and listeners out there to check this out and to order the book. And, uh, you know, I'm going to put it in a plug for myself here because uh, I would like an autographed copy of this. So uh, perhaps we can arrange that to happen. But we'll make that if, happen. Yeah. Before we let it, yeah, everyone go, we want to uh, uh, read a quick ad. If you want to get soft rep on your phone, download our free mobile app to get easy access to our articles, podcasts, gear reviews, all perfectly formatted to your device. Please subscribe to softrep.com to get access to our library of eBooks and our exclusive team room forums and content available on all your Apple and Android devices. We want to thank everyone for listening today. As always, we uh, without our listeners, Soft Rep Radio doesn't exist. So thank you all for listening. Thanks to Sean, who we don't usually get to get him on the podcast very often. So that's fun. And obviously, thanks to our guest, John David Mann. And please check out steelfear.com. You've been listening to Soft Rep Radio.